questions that have come up a lot um, that I want to address. Um, no, Brother Jose has nothing to do with my shirt selection tonight. <laughs> Jose was making, he's like, man, you look real colorful tonight, preacher. I'm like, thank you. I don't know. <laughs> Sulin, <clears throat> like that. He was looking for that. That's what he was looking for. Uh, but we'll, we'll go to Galatians 5 in just a little bit. Before we get there, though, as we wrap up our series on being led of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit in your life and the subject of temperance, all right, which has a lot to do, listen to me, with self-control. Our society is out of control. In order for us to stand out, we have to be in control. Not of others, but submitted to the Spirit of God so that our flesh is in control uh, of itself rather than being out of control. When your flesh is out of control, you basically blend in with the rest of the world. And uh, we'll talk about that in a moment, but I had a young man reach out today and say, I was talking with my teacher at school, public school, about some Bible stuff, and some things came up, and uh, I wanted to address them. Anybody here ever been asked... Um, you know, is it, is it fair or is it right for a loving God to have people on the other side of the world who don't have the Bible, not around churches, how, how is that fair to them? Anybody ever, ever been asked that question? Have you ever wondered that? How, you know, how will, the, how will the heathen know about God? You know, is it fair that here we are, we're in church, we're in Aurora, we're in a first world country, and we've got a Bible. Some of you have 10 Bibles in your house. And, you know, the, the, uh, the person in Papua New Guinea living in the jungle, they don't have one. How is that fair to them? And the first thing I want to say about that, go to Romans chapter number 1. First thing I want to say about this is this, is that God is just. And what I mean by that is God is right. No matter what other position you want to take, know this much. In the end, God will be proven right. And everything that God does is right. Now, uh, really the question should be this. How in the world did we get in the mess that we're in right now? How do we get so far from God? And what often happens is, is that the AC kicking on? If so, hallelujah. All right. Uh, but, but people will go, well, it, it, you know, how could a loving God send people to hell who've never been in church, don't have the Bible, blah, 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 blah. And, uh, and I understand that on the surface, but once you start peeling that onion back a little bit, really the question becomes this. Uh, did everybody, it, was there a time when everyone was surrounded, what was in communication or had the potential to know God? And the answer is emphatically Yes. Uh, not only does man start in a garden with God, you can, you can make the argument, well, that's not fair, man sinned after that. Okay, God still interacted with man after that. And what you, what you learn is this, is that God gave man a, a number of things. Look at Romans chapter 1, and let me show you what the real issue is. The real issue is not God being fair or unfair. And fair is a very interesting word to use. What is fair? Well, what's fair to you may not be fair to someone else. But I know this, the right word to use is who is just in the situation. Is God just or is man just? Is God just for saying, you have broken my law, you had violated things that I gave you that you knew were wrong, and therefore, because sin separates you from me, I have to judge that, and oh, by the way, my son died for you, and you don't have that as a payment for your sin, and, and, and everyone, so far, you're like, yeah, I get that, but what about those who never heard? Well, let me explain. Look at Romans chapter 1. We've got to work through a couple things in Romans. Romans 1 
Uh, look, if you would, at verse number uh, 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest where? You, you've got something, we're going to look at it in just a moment, in the next chapter over, you've got something called a conscience. That when you do something wrong, even if no one's ever told you you can't do that, here's what you do before you do it. And not until which time you do that thing a thousand times and you're, you kill your conscience, does it quit bothering you. Until that point, it bothers you, it, it grieves you. But you can also kill your conscience. And the Bible talks about uh, people that, that harden their hearts and, and uh, their conscience is seared with the hot iron. That's how Paul describes it. But, but look, if you would, at verse uh, number uh, 20. For the invisible things of him, that's God, from the creation of the world. Now, let me ask you a question. Is creation visible or invisible? Visible. visible. So what he's saying is this. Look, you can't see God. The Bible even says in John, no man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared, and we're learning that in John. We understand that. But God said, okay, I'm not going to leave you without witness. I'm going to give you something, and the first thing I'm going to give you is creation. You're going to look out there and go, there's something that made this. All right? That's the first thing. And what happens is man has that, but look at verse number 21. Oh, well, go back to the end of verse 20. You know what it says at the end of verse 20? They are without what? If you can look out at nature, you're without excuse. That's, that's the simple answer, but I'm not done yet. That's the simple answer. Anyone can go outside and go, someone made this. The question is, once you realize that, what do you do with that knowledge? Do you hold that knowledge in righteousness and then go to seek that God out? All right, like, like someone did when their dog got lost. I'm not picking on Miss Nancy, right? But that good example, right? All right, so, so are you going to do that? Or are you going to say, you know what? They say billions and billions of years ago, out in the cosmos, an explosion took place. You say, why is all that even made up? You guys realize no one believed in that garbage until about 150 years ago? Maybe not even that long, about 140 years ago. Really wasn't even a thing. You say, well, the Greek kind of had some of that stuff. Yeah, some of that stuff. But the way it's taught in schools today, that was until about 140 years ago. People were smarter before then. They knew you couldn't have an explosion in a factory and out comes a Ford Raptor. They know better than that, right? So, so creation is the first thing. Now, now, what you do with that knowledge makes a difference because look at verse 21. Because when they knew God, see, everybody knew God at one time. He's giving you the history of the Gentiles. At one time, they knew God, and you can read about that in the Old Testament. But, man, God has these things called rules so you can have a proper relationship with Him. Hey, parents, do you have rules in your house? You ought to. <laughs> I mean, you ought to, you ought to tell your kids, listen, uh, do whatever you want. It's your house, but I'm going to tell you right now. Uh, we were talking with our kids and talking with Emma and, and the boys, and I said, look, man, you don't need a phone right now. No, again, that's your business. I'm not telling you. I'm not going to tell you. I'm just telling you. You say, why? Those are the rules in our house. That's how we have a proper relationship in our house. Is this making sense? So to approach God, you don't make the rules. He does. Right? So, so when someone says, well, no one, they, they didn't know. No, all of mankind knew, but they didn't like God's rules. So they made their own gods. And Americans aren't any different. They just call it Hollywood and NFL and the music entertainment industry, and so on and so forth. 
you, and, and sex and, uh, and drugs and education and fill in the blank. There's a God for anyone. Everyone makes gods, right? And, and so it, it says here that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were what? But became vain in their imaginations and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. There's your, there's your typical college professor. There are some good ones. I'm not saying they're all bad, but man, the system is not set up to be your friend as a Christian at all. All right. And change the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and a bird. Now watch the devolution, not the evolutionary, the devolutionary process. Look at this in verse 23. It starts with an uncorruptible God. Then it goes to corruptible man. That's you. Birds, four-footed beasts. And look at the last thing. You started here and you ended up here. And that's what happens when you walk away from the knowledge of God. Something tells you when you look outside, someone did this. But if you don't hold that truth in righteousness, God will allow you to believe a delusion and allow you to believe a lie, and you won't, you won't receive the love of the truth. Now, now, I don't have time to read all of chapter 1, but man, if you read the rest of chapter 1, do you know what you read about? Monkey pox and all the rest of it. Okay? Is that is okay to say that in 2022? All right. So, so you read all that, and then, and then chapter 2, go over to chapter 2 real quick. Chapter 2 is a, a little bit different. It switches gears, all right? And what it does is it starts talking about your conscience, all right? Look at uh, chapter 2 and verse number 14. For when the Gentiles, which have not the law... So let's say someone doesn't have a Bible. They don't have a church. They have nothing else. Can they look outside and tell something made this? That's, that's the starting point. And then from there, God gave them a conscience. Are they going to listen to that conscience, or are they going to indulge in themselves? So look at, and I'm going to wrap this up with a hopeful uh, story that will give you an idea of how a loving God will go after people who are seeking Him, okay? But look at verse 14. For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law, are a law unto themselves. You say, what is that? That's your conscience. You don't have the Bible. You don't have the law. But, but you have something that's within you that's telling you. Look at verse uh, 15. Which show the work of the law written in their what? Their conscience also bearing witness. And now watch how this, this thing goes one of two ways. Their thoughts the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. So if someone follows their conscience that God give, gives them, they go, I'm broken, something's wrong with me, I, I want to, God, you're out there somewhere, would you show yourself, would you, would you appear, and, and you know what God's going to do? Look at Acts chapter number 10, Acts chapter 10. The best example I have in the Bible on this is a, a, a New Testament story about a man that, in my humble opinion, coming from the background that I come from, a Catholic background, it reminds me a lot of of kind of a Catholic mindset. I'm doing good. I'm trying to help people. And by the way, I've said this before. I'll say it again. There are lost Baptists and saved Catholics. This is not about the label, all right? But I will say this. If you follow Catholic doctrine about salvation, more than likely you're not going to be saved because you're going to constantly think you're the one keeping your salvation and you're earning it as well. And that's not clearly how it works. But there was a man named Cornelius in the Bible who kind of to me, represents a good religious person, all right? And look, if you would, at verse number one. It talks about this guy named Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian Band. That's not a, a rock group, by the way. That's a, a group of soldiers, a devout man, and one that, look at this, 
one that feared God with all his house, which gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always. Wouldn't you say that's a good man? But something's missing. Now, you know what that man did? That man looked outside and said, there's a God that did this. Keep in mind, he's a Roman. Romans have all kinds of gods. He's a pagan. But you know what he said? He decided to go, you know what? I know I've got all, I could pick from whichever God I want, but the God I'm seeking after is one that I don't have a name for. And so I'm going to pray to that God. I'm going to seek that God. I'm going to look for that God. And you know what the Lord does? Uh, Look down, if you would, uh, at uh, verse number uh, 5. This, this man, uh, God uh, shows up to him and says, hey, call for this guy, Peter. Look at verse 5. And now send men to Joppa and call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. Now you say, what happens here? Well, what God does is God, God reaches down and, and intervenes, and he sends Peter to go and deal with this man. You say, what is that a picture of? God burdening a Bible-believing Christian to go talk to a lost person that's looking for God. Are you getting the picture yet? That's what's going on. Now, this guy did not by himself, he wasn't saved, but he was doing everything he knew to do. He was looking out and going, there's a God that's superior to all the other gods out there. I know that. I'm going to pray to him. And he followed his conscience, and by doing that and seeking God... And by the way, if you read the rest of Romans 2, it, it, it discusses this. It talks about, it gives commentary on this very thing. Then what God is going to do is God's going to burden a believer, maybe a missionary like the ones we support. You know what's so funny to me? When people ask this question, most of people won't give five cents to missions. But they're worried about the heathen. What, really, what, for the most part, what it is, they're trying to dodge the, the, the issue about their own heart, their own salvation oftentimes. But, but you're going to get that question oftentimes, and you need to be prepared to show them God is not unjust. God did this the right way. And God gave everyone enough truth that if they want to seek Him, they can. The question is, once they have that truth, what do they do with it? Go to John chapter 19. Uh, I, what I might do is I might answer, brother, the, next, the other question next Wednesday, because I've got to get to the other study here. But look at John chapter 19. John chapter 19. And uh, the question I'll, I'll be answering next Wednesday night, right before we get into our subject of music, uh, would be, uh, how many of you guys have heard about, I don't know, I'll just pick the one that everyone talks about, the book of Enoch, right? Uh, or the gospel of Judas. Let me tell you something, if a book's named after Judas, maybe don't read it. <laughs> right? So, anyways, um, we're going to answer like the books that didn't get in there right? Why weren't they in there? And how do we know the books that are in there are the right ones? And we'll address that because that's something people try to throw out there as well. And what that does when they do that, it undermines the authority of the Bible. Because then you start going, oh man, am I missing something here? Don't take this the wrong way, but how about you start reading the ones you already got? Like start there. We'll worry about the stuff that ain't there later, but we'll address that next Wednesday. Look at John chapter 19. John chapter 19, and uh, oh, let's see here, I am looking for, I've got two Bibles, this may sound really funny to some of you, I'm looking for the verse where uh, Pilate says what is truth, and I've got two Bibles that I use, and I know exactly on what column and what side of the page it is on the other Bible, but it's not the one I've got with me, Um, verse 12, is that it, John, um, 
Well, I'll tell you what, when you find it, when anyone finds it, let me know. But here's the, here's the point. The point is that Jesus Christ claims to be the way, the truth, and the life. Is that not right? And, and so when he's in front of Pilate, Chapter 18, 38. Thank you, sir. Chapter 18. Some of you are like, well, I was never going to find chapter 19. You're right. Thank you, Brother Eric. Chapter 18, look if you would at verse number 38. Pilate saith unto him, what is truth? You know what the answer is? You're literally looking at him. The truth could be right in front of you and you'd miss it if your heart isn't right. If you want truth in a certain package and God delivers in a different one, you know what some people do? They'll come to church and if a preacher raises his voice, they'll go, well, I never. I just, I'm never going back there. And, uh, and, and you say, what is that? Well, they were expecting truth in a certain package and they didn't get it the way they wanted and so they said, I don't want that. And you know what? We all deal with that in different ways. Uh, you may be praying about a certain situation and you go and you ask your pastor, well, what do you think about this? And, and I go, well, is what the Bible says. And you go, well, I don't like that. That's fair. Can I be honest with you? Sometimes the, the, the advice I give, I don't like. You know why? Because I've got to put it on too. But it doesn't change the nature of truth. And so when a person is confronted with truth, simple truths such as, where did all that get here? How did all that get, get here? Simple truths like, okay, I understand the functions of the brain, but that's different than uh, I long for communication. I long for relationship. Where does that come from? That's not the neo-frontal you know, cortex of your brain. That, that's, not, that's, that's an issue of the soul. Right. When someone starts wrestling with those things and they realize there's something more to this and they start seeking that, God is righteous and He will do His part to reach that person. Now let me throw one more thought at you and I'll, I'll leave this here. What if God burdens you and you don't go? Is God unfair? Or are we unfair? See, it's really easy to cast the blame on God. Right? Uh, but the truth is, God gives us something called free will. And boy, that, 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 that's a, a sticky thing, isn't it? Because when God gives us the choice, we don't always do the right thing with it. So, we'll, we'll answer the other question, but I hope that helps. Did, did that clarify some of that for some of you that have heard that question before? All right? Uh, we just had a mouse run through the church. Pray for the church. A little, little mouse sneezing in the church. Uh, go to Galatians chapter 5 and stand with me. Galatians chapter 5. Galatians 5 and stand with me if you would. Galatians 5. You guys, uh, you guys good for a little bit more Bible? Amen. Amen. All right, Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. And uh, look if you would toward the end of the chapter. Galatians chapter 5. Galatians 5, and look if you would at verse number 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. Holy love, pure love, righteous love, but it's love. Joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and here's this last one, temperance. Temperance. Against such... There is no law. Father, tonight we ask your blessing on the Word of God. Lord, thank you for giving us this book. Lord, thank you that we can trust it. And Lord, I, I pray that with all the things that we confront, Lord, throughout the week, Lord, that you might 
help us to just take a break from all of it. Lord, to shift our focus and our attention on your words. And Lord, I pray that you would lead and you would guide, Lord, as, as this whole entire study, Lord, the purpose of this, Lord, was to, to learn how to be led of you and how to, how to understand when we are being led of you and, Lord, how to understand when we're being led of the flesh. And God, I pray that as we look at this last manifestation of the fruit of the Spirit, Lord, the, the outward working, Lord, of, of what you put on the inside of us, Lord, when we got saved and, and as we add to our faith, Lord, I, I pray that it would make it very clear to your people how important, Lord, this subject is. And, Lord, that you would help us, Lord, to truly be led of the Spirit, to be filled with the Spirit and to be tempered and to be temperate. Lord, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Be seated if you would. Temperance is defined in Webster's 1828 Dictionary as moderation. Moderation. Uh, Habitual moderation in regard to the indulgence of the natural appetites and passions. Restrained or moderate indulgence as temperance in eating and drinking. Patience, listen to me, calmness, sedateness, moderation of passion. Look, if you would, at Galatians 5, you're already there. Look at verse number 16. The encouragement we got at the very beginning of this was, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Look at verse 25. If we live in the Spirit, let us also, what? Walk in the Spirit. The idea is this, is that the more submitted we are to the Spirit of God, the more uh, control we yield to God, the less control that our flesh has. The more control that the flesh has, the less control you have of your life. You know, the, the, the weird thing is this, you don't even feel that way when you're going through it. When you're going through it, it feels like the opposite. Uh, what do they call that? Like vertigo. When you kind of feel like you're, everything's kind of spinning around you. When you're in the thick of life, you know what you try to do? You try to grab everything you can and control it all. And you know what you're doing? You're actually not in control because that's the flesh. You're not submitted to the spirit of God. And as you try to control and manipulate, what happens is your flesh continues to grow and it continues to grow power and it continues to gain control. And the spirit of God, he doesn't leave you. Thank God. But he's grieved and he's quenched. And you know what he does? He subsides in your life and the flesh increases. John the Baptist says, he must increase and I must decrease. Those are your options. They never work in tandem the other way around. You have to either say, God, I want more of you and less of me. You can't have more of you and more of God. It doesn't work that way. And so as you live the Christian life, this subject of temperance is kind of a big deal. You know what it means in so many words? You have some moderation in your life. You know your flesh thrives off of selfishness, self-consumption, more, more, you know, I can't get no satisfaction, but I try, and I try, and I, and I can't get no, right? What, you know what that is? That's someone that goes, I'm trying, I'm trying, but you're not doing it God's way. And, and you know, as a result of it, there's just, nothing's ever enough. If you've got a problem with what you're looking at, it's never enough. You've got to look again. 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 If you've got a problem with gossip, you just can't wait to hear what, you know, sister so-and-so or brother so-and-so has to say about what so-and-so did and what so-and-so said. And just, i got to have more. You see, what is it? It's an excessiveness of the flesh. And it's never enough. 
And, and maybe that's not your issue. Maybe it's a rebellion against authority or, or just simply, I just want instant gratification right now. I want to indulge my flesh with no thought of what comes after it. You say, what is it? It's a lack of temperance. And when the flesh takes over in your life, you will go further than you ever thought you would. Uh, look at Proverbs 23. I know we've looked at this before, but I want to see it again and, and point some things out to you because I kind of feel like this is one of the greatest illustrations in the Bible of this subject. Now, when we travel in Aurora, I, I don't know how it is in uh, brother Ohio and Finley, but uh, I know uh, here in Denver in the last 10 years, man, we've seen a whole lot more homelessness, have we not? And, and let me say this right now, I do not at all advocate nor live by the idea of driving by somebody and going, shh, look at that bum. You know what that is? That's called pride. And so so that, that is not the right answer, and, and, that's, and you don't know someone's story and all that stuff. But let me also say this, as drug abuse has continued to abound in our communities, we're seeing the results of it. Is this making sense? And you, you say, what happened? I tell my kids all the time, I tell them, don't you dare look down at somebody else. If it weren't for the grace of God, there could you go as well. I, I'm very clear about that, but I'm also not going to ignore the object lesson that's right in front of them, which is this. Every one of those men and women started with one joint, one drink, one shot, one something, and it led to more and more and more and more. And you may go, oh, that's not me. Yeah, but you've got something. But if you don't yield to the Spirit of God, it will never be enough. Look at Proverbs chapter 23. Proverbs 23. You know what it might be? It might be social media. I don't know. And don't, don't walk in here, Pastor wants us to go in the dark ages and burn our cell phones. I didn't say that. Our, our church has an Instagram account and a Facebook account. But I'm going to tell you what right now. I am tempted to do something we did many years ago. And Brother James, you might remember this to do a, a fast for an entire month. Some, some of God's people would have a real hard time with that. You know why? Because it's consuming a little too much of your life. And you have to go back. That's why you don't even realize you pull the phone out. Tick, 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 tick. What are you checking? You looked 30 seconds ago. How much could have changed from 30 seconds ago? Well, maybe someone else liked my stuff. Maybe they did. But what is that going to do but feed your ego right now? You understand what I'm getting at? This is where we're at today. You may not have, maybe it's not drugs, maybe it's not alcohol, maybe it's not pornography, but you've got something that if you don't yield it to God, it will consume your thoughts and minds, and it will never be enough. Look at Proverbs 23, and look if you would at verse number 27. Proverbs 23, verse number 27. For <laughs> some of you are like, man, I think the Bible's got rough language. You know what's crazy? I've, I've literally been around Christians, and I'm not saying that any of you are this way. I don't know. I'd like to know. If you are, don't come up to me afterwards and tell me that you are, okay? I think you're angelic. I'd like to keep it that way right now. But I've been around some Christians that, man, they'll watch movies with F-bombs and all kinds of language. And then some preacher gets up and says, that woman is a whore. <gasps> Half of the role models in the music industry for our young ladies are whores. I prayed about what I said before. I said, if you get upset about it, check your heart. <laughs> look, at, look at verse 20. For a whore is a deep ditch. Well, someone's got to be that because the Bible is describing someone that way. Right? Now, I'm not advocating you go out in the street and point at some woman like a ding-dong. You go, no, I'm not. That's foolishness. That's, I'm not talking about any of that. But let's be honest and tell our young people, hey, 
don't dress like that. That's dressing like a whore. It's okay for them to hear that. L- listen, I've got, you know, don't look at me like that. I've got teenage girls in my house. I've had to tell them before, no, sorry, that's a little too, well, you're right. Dad. And you know what? Thank God they're not like, you know what? I'm just going to move out. There's the door. If you want to pay your own bills and do it, th- there it is right there. But you know what? There's, there come, listen, guys, what happened to churches saying the truth? We're afraid to speak the truth. And listen, if you can't speak it here, you're not going to speak it out there. <laughs> And I'm not, I'm not advocating you go out and tell people that they look like that. I'm simply, and by the way, if they're lost, that's not their issue. They need to be saved. That's, I'm not advocating you make that an issue. What I am saying is this. We need to tell our young people, no, that's not the right kind of role model for your life. You got better ones around this church than you will find on social and online and on TV and everywhere else. Now, look what it says, though. It, there's a correlation. There's a, a connection, if you will, between verse 27 and verse 29. Do you know uh, promiscuousness and perversion goes hand in hand with drinking? You, you know, you ever, uh, you ever notice when you go to a, a bar or a nightclub, they don't have the lights on like this? So why would you go to a church like that? I know, some of you are like, man, what happened to you tonight? I don't know, but I'm tired of not saying things. That's what's happened. And, and, and the reality is this, the world is going to hell in a handbasket, guys. And my heart's broken because you've got three-year-olds now being submitted to the Yale School of whatever for gender translation, three-year-olds. How did the country that put out more missionaries than any other country in the world come to that conclusion? And by the way, do you know what Yale was? It was a Bible theology. It was a seminary. How do you go from that? I'll tell you how you go from that to this. You get a bunch of people that won't say what is right and what is wrong. So, so, so bear with me if for a little bit tonight, it feels a little bit uncomfortable. But, but understand there's a connection between promiscuousness and things that take away your inhibition, be it alcohol, uh, be, it, be it drugs. When you start messing with that stuff, there's all kinds of things going on spiritually. You don't want to be a part of that. And so what's leading, what it's leading towards in this, in this conversation is exactly that. Look at verse 30. Uh, who has got all these problems from verse 29? I'll tell you who has these problems. Verse 30, there's the answer. And it tells you, don't, don't even look at it. Look at verse 32. It's going to bite you. You're going to look at things you shouldn't look at. Verse 33. Your heart's going to say things you shouldn't say. Uh, look at verse 34. You're going to lose control of yourself. Verse 35, it's going to be a miserable experience, and at the end of it all, you're going to say, I want it again. You say, what is it? That is the greatest Bible example I can find for what it means to have a lack of temperance. Do you know what, um, and and this is not a message about alcohol tonight at all. It really isn't. It's about being in control and being submitted to the Spirit of God. But, But do you know what they called, I know some of you young people may or may not know this, back in the early 1900s, there was something called the temperance movement, where you couldn't buy alcohol in America. It was black market. You had to get some moonshiner to come through there, you know, spitting that backer out, you know, and driving the moonshine all over the country from Kentucky to Alabama, wherever else. You, you say they had speakeasies. You know what a speakeasy was? A place where you could go and get, get some booze, kind of under the table. You, you say, why do they call it the temperance movement? The temperance movement was against the sale of alcohol. 
Why they call... Now, listen, I'm not going in a political thing about, oh, you shouldn't have alcohol. That ship has sailed. That's not the message. I'm simply trying to say the name of that movement was called the temperance movement because the whole point was once you unleash this on society, things will get out of... They'll get out of control. And, And so what you're seeing right now is literally that. Look at Acts 24. Acts 24. I want you to look at some references with me. Acts chapter number 24. And by the way, I, I want to I make this clear. In the event that you think I'm just picking on a certain sin, I've, I've seen some people that are excessive and out of moderation as it relates to spiritual things. Let me give you an example. There's a, an individual I've known. No, they are not part of this church. Don't go looking for them here. They're not here. I'm not talking about you behind your back or in front of people underhandedly. That's not what's going on. All right, I got to give these disclaimers. If not, someone's going to walk out going, he's talking about me. It, it's not anyone here, I promise. But I, I knew someone years ago who, if there was a mission trip, they're going. If there was a revival meeting, they're there. If, if there was something exciting, oh, we're going to go do street ministry? I'm going to show up and do that. What about church? Oh, that's kind of boring. I just want to hit the highlights. I want to ride it high. You, that's not the Christian life. The Christian life is getting up in the morning, reading your Bible when you don't want to, praying when you don't want to, looking in the mirror and going, God, I haven't confessed my sins in three weeks. We haven't talked like we should. You know what that is? That's not always exciting. Let's be honest. Your relationship, you that are, you that are married tonight, is it always exciting? No, there are moments of your marriage where it's kind of like the opposite of exciting. Uh, unless you consider having a, thro- a show thrown at your head, exciting, I mean, that's kind of exciting, you know? Say the wrong thing to your wife, you might have some exciting stuff go on, but you understand what I mean? It's not always exciting. Relationship, and this is what's wrong with some people, there's two extremes in Christianity. Here's one. Oh, I'm just living the Christian life. Just waiting for the Lord to come back. You know, just hanging in there like a, Fungus on a toe till Jesus comes. <laughs> and then there's this guy. Yeah, yeah, let's go, let's go. And they never read their Bible. And they're always in their head about what's wrong in their lives. But they're always into the exciting new thing that's going on. You know what you need in your life? Stability. Moderation. Temperance. Sobriety is another synonym. Uh, look, if you would, I, I know that one of our dear brothers here has to do sobriety tests from time to time, right? It's part of his line of work. I wonder if the Lord were to do a spiritual sobriety test with you tonight, how you do? Can you walk straight? I don't know. It was just kind of feel like this right now. I feel this and I feel and I feel and I feel. Get out of your feelings for a little bit. Two, two, listen, emotions are given by God, but they're not meant to run your life. Yeah. Acts chapter 24. You say, who's talking? Well, Paul's talking here. Is this making any sense? Yeah. Acts 24. And, and Paul's talking to Felix here. And uh, I like this because <laughs> in our passage, Felix trembles a little bit. So at least I'm in the Bible. <laughs> All right, let's pray and let's go home right now. (laughs) Man, I got zinged on that one. Not praying for that guy for a month. Acts 24, look if you would at verse 24. Yeah, that's right. 
Look at verse 24. And after certain days, when Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, which was a Jewess, I mean, she was, she was a Jew and he was a Gentile. He sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. And as he reasoned, look at this. As Paul reasoned of righteousness, what's the next word? You know what we need sometimes? Like, if you are Eeyore, you need to be excited. Okay? And, and if you are constantly seeking a thrill rather than constantly seeking Jesus, you need some sobriety. Now, some of you might think I'm trying to, you know, fan out the flame of your fire and passion for God. That's not it at all. We went to summer camp. We're in a, we're in a tram coming back, and, and we got people videotaping us, our group, because we got kids in that tram going, I got the joy, 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 joy. And everyone in that tram is like, they're like this, but they got their phone out. <laughs> I'm not talking about having a good time in the Lord. That is all good. But let me ask you a question. Can you live at summer camp? You see? Revival meetings are awesome, but you don't live there. Do you understand what I'm saying? Some people will show up for any extra over-the-top cool big event, and when it comes to the regular Christian life, it's like, eh, I don't have time for that. The problem is you lack temperance. And Paul preached it because it's part of the gospel message. You know what temperance does? It kind of sobers you up. And it's something, listen to me, it's something you need to, <laughs> um, years ago, Bella made something. She likes to bake. And, and for years, for years, Brother James and Miss Debbie have mercilessly picked on her about the eggshells that they picked out of whatever that baked item was. <laughs> and they're like, man, that was really good eggshell. I mean, that was a good brownie. That was a good brownie. You know, in life, right, there, there are, there are, you're mixing things together. You are. That's how life goes. You got your family. You got your prayer life. You got your Bible. You got church. You got, you're mixing all. But, you know, what you add and when you add it matters. And how you add it matters. Look at 2 Peter chapter 1. This is midweek Bible studies. We're going to look at a lot of scripture. 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. There are some things that you need to add to your faith. And we have looked at some of these things before, but I want you to see this again. 2 Peter chapter 1. Look, if you would, at verse number 5. 2 Peter chapter 1. And I, I feel the need to say this. You are not in a church that looks down on people for where they're at, okay? I, I want to make that very clear. The comments I made are about you, especially as parents, having a backbone and telling your children you should not be emulating that, okay? I'll make that very clear. Second Peter chapter 1, uh, look if you would at verse number 5, and beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge. And once you get a bunch of knowledge, what, you gonna, what do you got to add after that? You know why that comes after that? Because once you get a bunch of knowledge, you start thinking you're somebody. And God has to kind of knock you down and go, nope, you're still a sinner saved by grace. Yeah, but I know a whole bunch of Bible now. Yeah, you know enough to slice people up. Do you know enough to heal them? Do you know enough to minister to them? You, you see, that's, that's where temperance comes in. 
He tells you you're supposed to add this to your faith. You know what that means? Listen to me. That means you don't always have it right away. Listen, if you grew, if you grew up, especially in a, in a home that was dysfunctional, and people were coming and going like Motel 6, and there was no family structure, you're going to have to learn some temperance. You may, listen, I'm going to talk to young people for a moment. You shouldn't be up till 2, 3 a.m. in the morning. Not you got to get up and go to school the next mo- morning. You have no business doing that. Well, I'm just playing video games. What's wrong with that, preacher? Nothing except for you're not going to get up and read your Bible. And you're going to be a zombie the next day. You know why? Because you're not disciplined. You know, and, and listen, I, you that think I'm picking on them, young men need a little kick in the, you know, in the, in the backside every once in a while, especially, to be reminded, hey, boys, you are supposed to be the next generation of men. And we expect you to get up, and we expect you to work, and, we expect, and you can't do that if you have no temperance in your life. I was recently reminded of this. Uh, man, I, I didn't go to a perfect Bible. There's no perfect Bible school. There's no perfect church. There's no perfect anything. But where I went, I at least thank God for this much. We worked all day long, and we went to school at night. You know why that was good for me? Because it taught me I can't just go, well, I was tired. And you know what it also taught me? I can't stay up till 2 a.m. because i got to get up at 5. You know what it taught me in my life? Some temperance. And you need that in your life. You say, well, Pastor, I'm not going to move away to Bible school. No, but God has you here. How are you going to add this right now? And by the way, if he says add to your faith, da-da-da-da-da, and temperance is one of those things, you know what that means? You have a responsibility to do that, and you have a conscious decision whether you do that or not. So examine yourself and go, Lord, where, is, where am I maybe lacking some temperance in my life? And Lord, is it really a big deal? Look at Philippians chapter 4. It's a big deal. God wants you to show that temperance, show that moderation to the world. Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. Look, if you would, at verse number 4. Philippians chapter 4. And uh, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say what? Rejoice. Then he says this. Let your what? Be known unto who? Why? Because the Lord's at hand. In other words, He can come back at any time. There should be some moderation in your life. There should be a governor. Do you know cars? You're, okay, uh, you young guys, don't answer. Don't, don't raise your hand, all right? But I know there was a point in my life where I was like, can this go 120 miles an hour? Can it go 104? Because it says it right there. It ha- Why would they put the stupid number there if they don't want you to do it? Right? And so there's the number. And so I'm pushing the gas down. And you know what I found out? They don't always go as fast as they say they can. You know why? There's something called a governor that keeps you from going at excessive high speeds. Do you know what you need in your life? You need a governor. Actually, if you're saved, you got one. His name's the Holy Spirit. And what we're trying to learn is this. How can I yield more of myself to him? How can I yield to the governor rather than blowing this thing out of control and living a life of excess. You know, part of your witness is not just the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Part of your witness is, is not just, you know you're a sinner, yeah, you know you're going to hell, yeah, you know, you know Jesus Christ died, yeah, yeah, okay, you want to get saved, yeah, I want to get saved. Part of your witness outside of that is the moderation in your life. 
Because let me tell you right now, it is a blessing. I'd rather have people that are broken and their lives are a mess and they're still opening their mouths for Jesus Christ because they'll make a difference more so than a perfect family with a perfect Christian home who never says anything about Jesus Christ at all, okay? I will acknowledge that. But let me ask you a question. Can you not try for both? Can you not try to have some, some testimony in your life? You know, there, there, I, I, I'll tell you what, it, it's, it'd be that much more powerful if you weren't, you know, messing around over here and then witnessing over here. Is this making any sense? The moderation is there. God says, I want others to see this in your life because they will be drawn to that because their life is out of control. And, and they don't know where to turn. They don't know what to do. They've tried everything that, that the world tells them to. And they have less control of their lives and they need answers. So you know what they're going to look to? To people who've got some moderation in their lives. Let me ask you, Christian, are you making your moderation, no, your moderation in speech? Is there anything that kind of puts a governor on this? James 3 talks about that. And, and you know what? In today's society, let me rephrase it, because this now means this, right? Moderation in speech. How about moderation in habits? Do you ever find that you're kind of skewed a little bit this way? It's easy to go ahead and automatically go to that habit and then go, I don't have time for my Bible. I don't have time to pray. I don't have time to... And, and then anytime someone says, hey, do you want to be involved in this thing at church? Don't you know how busy my life is? <laughs> Maybe you're a little out of balance. Uh, not trying to pick on you, but... <laughs> Tonight she walks through the door from teen class. I'm like, how are you doing? She's And it wasn't because of teen class. Is because she's now working a full-time job. And I said, oh, isn't it fun? <laughs> working and then coming to church at night when you're tired, you know? <laughs> How about moderation in habits? How about moderation in purpose? Look at Philippians chapter 1. You're already in Philippians. Philippians chapter 1. You know what most people do? They live a life like Reuben. Say, so who's Reuben? He's one of Jacob's sons. There's a lot of good things you could say about him, but he had no control of his flesh. And the Bible says he was a, as unstable as water. Years ago, we had a guy named John visit our church, and John was all about going out in the streets and, and you know, being a witness out there. And, and we, like, we like to be a witness for the Lord. Amen? I think you ought to do that. I do. Uh, but, but that was church for John. This is years ago. And you say, what was the problem? Lack of moderation. Guys, God put you in a local church. He didn't stick you out by yourself on a street corner. That's not your church. So God, put you, God gives you a church, but you know what that is? There's a, there's a leaning, a proclivity. Why? I feel more important out here than I do with everybody else in here. And the problem is you haven't dealt with the real issue. The real issue is you. And, and what I'm trying to get at is even with spiritual things, you can be out of moderation. Moderation is not a, just a drug problem. It's not just a pornography problem. It's not just a, hey, listen, if you're going to pick on someone that can't quit drinking, why do we not deal with the fact that we, we drink our emotions away, we pill our emotions away, and can I be honest, we eat our emotions away? We do all kinds of things to deal with where we're at rather than saying, God, I need moderation in my life. Philippians 1, look if you would at verse 27. You know what ought to be a governor in your life? The gospel. 
you ought to ask yourself, is the way that I'm living and the habits that I have and the way that I behave and the way that I speak and I interact with people, does it reflect the gospel of Jesus Christ? Because if something is out of balance or something's out of temperance, out of order, if you will, normally somewhere at the core, there's a lack of recognizing that my behavior doesn't reflect the message I'm supposed to be living by. Look at Philippians 1 verse 27. Only let your conversation, that's your lifestyle, your manner of living, be as it becometh the what? The gospel of Christ. That whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together, not against each other, together for the faith of the gospel. You say, what is that? That's a moderation in your life. That's me going, you know what? I want to do this, but the gospel is against that. (laughs) So I'm going to say no to that. I'm going to moderate myself. I don't need all these rules. You know what legalism is? Legalism is pastor tell me every single rule for my life so that I can keep it. I can't do that. You have too many decisions to make in a day. There's no way for me to do that for you. You know what you'll have to do? Spirit of God, does this reflect the gospel of Jesus Christ? Does the way I'm speaking to my wife, uh, to my children, to my husband, does the way that I'm interacting with my coworker, does the way that I'm looking at that thing over there, does the way that I'm gravitating towards this, Lord, does that reflect the gospel? You know what that'll do? That'll bring a governor to your life. It'll temper you. It'll moderate you. You know what you need? You need a moderator. You are not your best moderator. Okay? Having a third party that is sinless would be a good one. That's the Lord. And he wants to be your moderator. You have to submit to that, though. You say, what does that bring? It brings a sense of stability. And when you are out of control, I mean, you're not, you're not established And Ephesians 4 talks about being grounded so that you can grow, so you're not tossed about with every wind of doctrine. Remember that in Ephesians 4? And it talks about being strengthened and established and and being established in the faith, Colossians 2. And and the churches were established in the faith, Acts 16. And and Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. You know what that is? That is the definition of temperance. It's that I'm not going to just go with the whims of the time or the whims of my emotion or the whims of the circumstances. I'm going to be who God has called me to be. And Jesus himself had to do that to submit to the Father, and now it's your turn to submit to him. You know what Reuben's issue was? He flew off the handle. That's how a lot of people live, even save people. And you need to understand that Jesus Christ, you know what he does? He moderated, he, he, he moderated himself. You know what he did? He says, my hour's not yet come. My hour's not yet come. My hour's not yet come. My, you know what he said? I could reveal myself, but it's not time yet. Who was telling him that? Through the Spirit. Telling him, not yet, not yet, not yet, not yet. All right, Katie, bar the door. Here we go. Now it's time. And you know what he says in John, over there in John 12, at the Last Supper, getting ready for that? My hour has come. But up to that point, you know what he did? He held himself back and held himself back and held himself back. You say, why? Submitted. It's a word we don't like today. But it's a good Christian word. 2 Timothy chapter 3, we're almost done. 2 Timothy chapter 3. I mentioned this, the way that you can describe the culture in which we live today. And you can look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, and it's spot on. Verse 1, 
This know also that in the last days, perilous times shall come. Anybody feel like we're there? And, and by the way, it's nothing to do with my message, but Amazon just came out with this thing where you can just take your palm and just run it over a device and you can make your purchases at Whole Foods. How convenient is that though, right? I mean, like, I'm just waiting for them to go, and you can even do it in your forehead. Oh, yes, right? Uh, like, hey, we're almost out of here, guys. That's what I'm thinking. Uh, but but we're, we're in the last days. How do you know that? Not because of Amazon scanning thing. I mean, that's, that's interesting. But here's how you know you're in the last days. Look at uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. This know also that in the last days, perilous times shall come. Narcissism. <laughs> Men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. Can I just say something real quick? If you're saved, you should not have Puerto Rican pride. And not just because you're not Puerto Rican. (laughs) Okay? Or black pride or white pride or any other kind of pride. Is that okay to say in 2022? Or does it only work one, one direction? Is, is it only wrong for white folks to say that? I think it's, why are you so stinking quiet right now? <laughs> you get programmed. Is that your, that's your problem. You're programmed by the news. Listen, yeah. listen, it's wrong for all of us. Because the reflection that what we're looking at is us. Ladies, would you like me to get up here and rant and rave about how great men are? Man, male pride. Now, now, when they do it the other way around, it's like no one thinks anything of it. It's all wrong. You understand that? You women are not better than men, and you men are not better than women. End of story. Done. You you understand? You are meant to complement, not compete with each other. Pride would teach you the opposite. So I don't care if it's gay pride, white pride, Puerto Rican pride. It doesn't matter. If it's pride, it's got to go. So, so, So what you're looking at is a society that goes, I don't care what the Bible says. I don't care what God says. I will be proud, and you will not tell me otherwise. And so God says, okay. You want to pay five bucks a gallon? You want all your crops to go away and the farmers to sell out and the ranchers to get rid of their beef? You want to start paying? Now, you think I'm kidding. I mean, that's where you're at. And I'm not picking on one group. This is because all this, uh, the entire world is moving toward this idea of I am God. And we'll be deceived into following a false God. So I'm pointing these things out to show you this is where we're at today. Now look at verse 3. Without natural affection, when you have people running through the streets saying, taking baby dolls and pouring blood on them and making a mockery out of abortion, that's not natural. People in the jungles would look at you educated Americans and go, you guys are idiots. They know better. I'm not listening to me very carefully. If anyone here has ever had to deal with an abortion, I'm not looking down on you, not judging you. has nothing to do with that. But I would also say, if you're the person running through the street doing that, something's wrong. I'm not picking on someone has gone through a hard time. I'm trying to point out that excessive, you're not going to tell me, God's not going to tell me, it's unna- without natural affection. Now look what it says here. <laughs> this, we should call this message, and everything that you don't want to hear. Um, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, and look at the next word, incontinent. So what does that mean? Out of control. 
incontinent means not restraining the passions or appetites. Unable to restrain discharges. I just can't control it. Can I just tell you something right now? Listen to me, Christian. Listen, listen. I'm we're getting tired. We're about to go home. We're about to get the horse into the barn, okay? But hear, hear me out. Hear me out. When you say to yourself, I couldn't control it, you're lying. You're lying to yourself. And what you're doing is you tell that lie so many times to yourself, you start to believe it. She just pushed my buttons, man. If you just managed it. She, I just I had to let her have it. Well, you don't know what I've dealt with for all these years. And, you know, if, I had, if you had to be married to him, well, I'm not married to him. You married him. I didn't marry him. You married him. <laughs> and, and you don't know what it's like. And, and I just had to let him have it. Well, you, you wanted to. But it's out of control. And you can't say, I had no control. Let me give you the definition of tempering. Improving the hardness and elasticity of steel and other metal by reheating it and then cooling it. So you know what you're through in life? Hot, cold. Hot, cold. Kind of like your heartbeat, right? That's life is this way. And through those ups and downs, God goes, now, now, do you understand I haven't changed yet? Do you understand I have never moved from my throne? Do you understand my word is still true? Do you understand my promises are still there? Through those ups and downs, God's not trying to be a mean God and have you go through hardship for no reason. He's trying to show you, you can be forged like steel and heated and cooled and heated and cooled and come out harder and more durable and able to withstand the fiery darts of the wicked one. You say, how? Temperance. Over there in Ezekiel, God talks to Israel and he says, you know what? You're building a wall, but you're doing it with untempered mortar. It's like taking mud and throwing it against the wall and going, that ought to work. And then the rains come, you go, what happened to my wall? It wasn't tempered. That wasn't going to last. You want to last in the Christian life? You need temperance. You need God to build some walls in your life with tempered mortar. I thought about this as we close. What are some signs of an untempered life? How about no filter on the mouth? No filter on the actions. No filter on the habits. No filter on the relationships. Decisions based solely on feelings. Lashing out, trying to control other people. Thoughts being consumed by what you can't have and what you think you need to have. And drinking your feelings away and medicating your feelings away and eating your feelings away. You say, what is that? That's a sign of an untempered life. What kind of monster would someone be to tell you, here's everything that's wrong and not give you a solution? So here's a solution. Stillness. Watch this. It's a little awkward, isn't it? Most Americans aren't used to this. How about some stillness? Tomorrow morning, don't grab your phone. Let me go, I live in the city. I don't live out in the country like you do, preacher. <laughs> okay? Find a piece of blue stuff called sky. And look up there. And find a bird. And just be still. And know that he is God.
How about submission to the Spirit? How about seeking out your motive and going, why am I, why? Why do I want this? Why am I going after this? Why am I looking to excuse this all of a sudden? Why did this used to bother me? It doesn't bother me anymore, but why? How about the scriptures? It is written, it is written, it is written, it is written. You know, Jesus was at, he was in a place of vulnerability where if ever there was a chance to throw temperance out the window, there's no one else around. There's no audience, there's no disciples. It's just him and the devil alone. And do you know what kept him grounded? Knowing the words of God, believing the words of God, and living out the words of God. You want temperance in your life? You won't do it without this. I'll close by reading something that's found in the book of Hebrews. But the God of all grace, who hath called us into his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, sorry, Peter, forgive me, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. You need to be settled. Allow the Lord to do that. Let's all stand. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Father, we come tonight, Lord, and just thank you for the opportunity to open up the words of God. And God, we uh, honestly, sometimes we're just all over the place. And there's just a lack of temperance in our lives. And God, rather than seeking out the thrill and or getting stuck in our emotions, God, would you minister to your people tonight? Would you... Would you help them to crave your personality? Lord, you are the definition of consistency. You are the definition of permanency. You are the definition of stability. You are the definition of being settled. Lord, you, you lived it and you did it flawlessly. And I'm not like you. I'm not. But I'd like to be more like you. Lord, I want my moderation to be known because you want it to be known. Lord, I know that there are some people that you would have us to reach and the only way we can reach them is by living this out. Lord, thank you for showing us, Lord, we can be different from the world. Lord, we can be led of the Spirit. We don't have to be led of our flesh and of ourselves. God, would you help us to take inventory right now and rather than hardening our hearts or just moving on to tomorrow's activity and the business that, that is in front of us, God, would you help us to slow down and just take inventory and or look inside and see if there's some areas where there's just a lack of temperance. Here's the thing. It's not just, God, I'm a mess. It's, Lord, I want to submit this to you. I'm not just confessing it, but Lord, I'm laying it here at your feet. And, and Lord, I acknowledge that this is me. Because some of these areas where I lack temperance is, is because I just, I like this stuff. And I want things my way. 
and I want to be in control. And Lord, I'm having a struggle letting go of control and letting you lead. And Lord, my emotions are dictating how I'm living my life. And Lord, I know that's not how you want me. There's a better way. And Lord, I'm sorry. That's the kind of conversation to have with God. And you know what he'll say? Just man falleth seven times and riseth up again. Let's go, son. Let's go. We got this. But don't ignore it. And don't act like it's not a big deal. And please, don't think just because there's not an audience that sees that area where there's a lack of temperance that it doesn't matter. It mattered when Jesus and the devil were in the wilderness. There were eternal implications when there was no audience. In a little over a month, we're going to have Brother Peacock. Come looking forward to that. But you know what? You know what scares me? Some people play a game with God where it's like, well, when there's something special going on, I'll, I'll deal with that. How about we deal with it now? That way you can really get the most out of what God has for you coming up. got something out of the word tonight and I hope the Lord spoke to you um, the world's out of control and I don't mean to add a burden to you but uh, I, I want you to understand you are their only hope you guys okay okay all right um, you're it not the government not the Republican Party okay let's make sure we're not like doing something here uh, not, not, not the Democrat Party. No, there's no politician. You know what it's going to be? It's going to be you giving truth out in this world. And you need temperance in order to do this for the long haul. Anyone can run at 20 miles an hour for a short period. But the Christian life is not a sprint. It's a marathon. And you know what I pray for all of you? I pray that 20 years from now, if the Lord hasn't called us all home, or your number wasn't called, and you're on this planet that you're still living for Jesus Christ. And you need temperance for that. Amen. Let's go, Lord, in prayer. And uh, appreciate you guys being attentive tonight and thankful we could be together. Uh, I'm going to ask Brother Sean Bowie, uh, brother, if you would dismiss us in a word of prayer. And uh, Lord willing, we'll see you here Sunday. We'll be in the Gospel of John.
Sunday morning. We never know what's going to happen, so we'll see what the message is about. And then next Wednesday night, we will be starting a new series on music. And I want to give you a little bit of heads up. It's not, um, I'm going to listen to whatever you listen to in your car and tell you it's all bad. That's not, that's not what it is. I want to just give some biblical guidelines, some principles. Um, there's not enough time in the world to listen to every single piece of music and go, bad, good, bad, good. I, I, that's, not, that's not where God wants me to be anyways in your life. That's the Holy Spirit's job. But what I want to do is give you some biblical principles on that subject so that you can understand when you listen to things, go, man, what is this? What, what, where is this taking me? Right? So we'll get into that next Wednesday night. Brother Sean, if you would dismiss us in a word of prayer.